0: This week, we return to the fundamentals of freedom, revisiting the framework and preconditions to liberty with inspirational testimonies from the Oklahoma University Women's Softball National Champions to our own representative, Jody Barrett, right here in Tennessee. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and with my good friend, Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast.
1: Like Sinead O'Connor or something? Oh, that's an <laughs> insult.
0: <laughs> um, this nah. is one of the greatest British artists. Greatest, probably, Brit- probably Brit- top five British artists of all time.
1: Wow. Um, seal? No, I'm joking. Mm. <laughs> this guy's white. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hmm. Not familiar with that theme. 19- I, I
1: 19- am absolutely. F- yeah, this rings a bell. 1983. But I was a youngin'.
0: How old were you in 1983?
1: 83. I would have been four.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, hopefully your parents were listening to this. Yeah. This was all over U.S. radio. All right. So, I'll give you one more. Listen to the voice, and then you'll see yeah. your last chance.
1: My son is pulling for you, Gary. Oh, man. Wills, I'm sorry to disappoint this time, brother. I don't know. Listen. It's not Phil
0: Collins. No. No. Yeah, I don't know. Are you still free? Can you be? That's the line I love in that song. That's Steve Winwood. Okay. Little Stevie Winwood, who's Steve. not so little, but... Yeah.
1: Steve. Okay, so just I'm being honest here. I had no idea that Steve Winwood was British. Mm. No clue. Yep. But yeah, he was big time in the early 80s. He was. His biggest song was
0: Higher Love. Higher that, Love, That yeah. was on yeah, an so. album or
1: two after this that one. That one I would have gotten. I can picture myself right now, four or five years old, riding around. Of course, back then in the front seat, there were no laws exactly. about, no, no car no seat, seat belts. just hanging around in the front seat of my mom's Plymouth Duster. Did you have one of those um, armrests that came out of, like,
0: we had bench seating, yeah. and then instead of, instead of like, captain seats, and there was an armrest that would come out, and I would sit on the armrest so I could see up over the <laughs> dashboard.
1: Super safe. Yeah. Awesome. And But we're all still alive. Which is the amazing we are. thing. We're not advocating yeah, right. putting
0: your children free in a Clear. seat. But yes. I mean, we, I don't...
1: We did all make it. We did. I <laughs> mean, made. somehow, somehow we survived. Actually, not to be
0: morbid, but I guess the ones who didn't make it aren't here talking about making it. This is true.
1: It, so. Anyway.
0: Well, the reason I chose that song, you know, every once in a while, I think it warrants us going back, Gary, and, and talking about the framework of this podcast, because the name of the podcast is Freedom Matters. And um, what I've all, even though the lyrics of that song are not about what we talk about on this program, those lines "Are you still free? Can you be?" Um, always stick out to me. He says it twice in the song, early in the song, then late in the song. In the way he sings those lyrics, it's definitely a high point, an important part of the song. And so, I don't know if you've we've not I don't know if we've talked about this online, offline, but you know, there's a double entendre in the Freedom Matters podcast name. In other words, there is freedom matters, right? We're talking about subject matter of freedom. We're not talking about culinary matters or. Matters
1: of freedom.
0: Right. Yeah. We're not talking about cooking. We're talking about matters of freedom. But then there's the other usage of the word where freedom matters, right? right. Fe- freedom has consequences. Or as my um, recent guest, Jill Savage, said, what you say, I left sports journalism because freedom matters, mm. right? Which gets us then to the question, okay, we're making an assertion, right? We're, we're making a declaration that freedom matters, which begs the question then, does it? How do we know? Why does freedom matter? How much does it matter? Right? We can't just dangle it out there yeah. and just say it. I, I used to teach, um, Gary, I think you know this, but maybe some of our audience doesn't. I used to teach young people at homeschool tutorials, and whenever they were making their arguments in their final papers and I'd make them present it, i don't always teach them structurally. You cannot make a naked assertion, right? And I draw a little stick man on the board, and then I always would always say, "Clothe your arguments." So we would put little clothes on the man, right? Just don't say, don't make naked assertions. So we can't just say, "Freedom matters," and let it go at that. Um, we be we need to be prepared to give an answer. And uh, another gentleman I, I respect deeply also says, and this is the context. When you do that, we have to talk about what are the preconditions to freedom. Because when we say freedom matters, we're implying things that we're not saying, aren't we? When you make any assertion, you can't believe one thing. For example, you can't believe that elephants are fat, right? Because when you say, you can't just believe that elephants are fat. Because when you say elephants are fat, you already imply that you know what elephants are. You know something about the concept of fatness, right? And and these things are unspoken or unargued, but they're, they're behind or the preconditions of making that assertion. So we have preconditions. When we say freedom matters, we better be prepared to defend it. And um, I think it's important so that when we, because we have a lot of great guests on this program and sometimes we don't have time to cover everything. And since we are the Freedom Matters podcast, I thought this week would be a great time to kind of rehearse or reprise or revisit some of those foundations, the the preconditions, as a setup, because I, I'm, we're going to have a fantastic little interview, sports interview, for three and a half minutes that I want to bring framework to. So let me read from um, a couple passages from my book, An Apologetic for Liberty, which um, I think most in this audience know about. It's this little book, takes you one hour to read. Most people, when they open up, go, oh, that's great, I could fit this in my purse, or Mm -hmm. I could fit it in my briefcase, and okay, that's not too overwhelming, and it does. It takes an hour to read. I'm going to read like a two-minute passage. Freedom is one of those invisible or immaterial qualities that gives evidence for the God of the Bible. Freedom cannot be proven empirically, which is to say you cannot see it, hear it, touch it, taste it, or smell it. Yet the concepts of freedom are universal and inescapable. Freedom manifests itself as much in the yearning of the citizen to break free from the fetters of the state as in the schemes of elite to exempt themselves from those same fetters that they have created for the citizen. But how does one account for this concept of freedom outside of a supernatural worldview in which all things are created by God and held together according to the counsel of his will? It is not adequate to simply say, it is obvious, or the thing speaks for itself. Nothing speaks for itself. Everything and every event is interpreted according to the worldview and the presuppositions of the one giving the account. An oil tanker disappearing over the horizon of the western Pacific doesn't speak for itself. To someone who believes the earth is flat, this vessel speaks a much different message than it would to those of us who know the world is a sphere. Likewise, someone who believes that a novel virus just happened to overtake the world in 2020— will interpret sudden international lockdowns, masking, jabbing, and medical passports as a necessary response to, quote, get us back to normal. Whereas those of us whose philosophy of history begins with the scriptures and who know what the Bible says about the inclinations of the hearts of men will view these events much differently. Even if liberty were self-evident, how does one account for the why? A libertarian may grasp that a person is created with freedom, and with dignity. But absent the word of God, the libertarian is incapable of providing a coherent explanation for why this is the case. And unless you can explain why we are free, liberty will be subject to arbitrary limits and conflicting claims. And then I'll end with this. Absent a clear understanding of why we are free, liberty devolves into license, which is a deceptive and destructive counterfeit to liberty. Whereas the Bible explains the object of our freedom is to obey our Creator and to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, the libertarian concept of freedom has no such transcendent purpose or external restraint to keep it from becoming an excuse to do as one pleases, leading ultimately to anarchy and a loss of all order. So I say that because liberty— has a framework it has preconditions it isn't just a word that floats out there it isn't it isn't license and and so much of what we talk about in this program i imagine people say gosh these guys talk a lot of a lot of bad news right we talk yeah. about things that can be very depressing but that bad news is the framework for the good news right jesus told us that he would set a table for us in the presence of our enemies well that means the enemies exist and we are right in the middle of them and I have a a beautiful example because of all the things that are spread on social media. This morning, the one that I got was such good news that I wanted to share it. So I'm going to ask Mr. Producer to hit that in just a second. Let me give the setup. So what you're going to hear is um, the Oklahoma University women's softball team, national championship women's softball team. They just won. Uh, they only lost one game, I think, the whole season. And they're being it's interviewed. It's not because
1: they're all men, is it? <laughs>
0: No, they okay. are women, and, and and at least in this segment, nobody <laughs> asks them a question about their um, identity or gender. But what you will hear is a question from an ESPN reporter. Now, when you hear these girls answer, you've got to imagine, I had somebody say to me today, this reporter must have been going, oh my gosh, cut it off, quit, stop this. This is such good news in a framework of bad news that I wanted our audience to be excited and encouraged by what these women say. Alex Scarborough, with ESPN for, for the players. I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time. The win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep
1: the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in?
2: Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And um, I think coaches said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the college world series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world, if we do lose, yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys mm-hmm. see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love For each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook. On life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like, shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home, and I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home, and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our our King. So,
0: mm. how's that hit you?
1: I mean, what what's incredible to me? You're watching ESPN here, but these you know it's like one after the other yes all of these young women are professing the same thing like it's not you don't have like uh just the one super christian you know mm-hmm. on the team that's kind of representing you know yep. christianity on the team like it it's like this is a a a team jesus effort it's really yeah. incredible to watch um I'm so arti- fired up.
0: They're articulate.
1: Yeah. They they're they sincere. know about their faith. Yeah. yeah.
0: They're not just giving some, some bookend to an otherwise worldly life and, oh, yeah, thank Lord for— I'm just here to thank God. Yeah. He gave <laughs> me this platform. No, they went into detail. Yeah. And why it's relevant to the Freedom Matters podcast, you notice what that third— player said, right? She said, when she's describing all this, she said, that's what gives us such freedom. She used the words yep. about, you know, this, and I, I'm trying to make this nexus. True freedom can only be found in Christ. All of the external freedoms that we talk about, if they are not rooted in a Christian worldview, they cannot be sustained.
1: I, one thing that stood out to me, it was uh, it was the second young woman that spoke, and I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking about it now, she said, you know, we're not afraid to lose. Mm-hmm. And that statement right there, you know, when, when I think about, I'm, I'm going to parlay that statement out of college softball for a moment and think about our legislators oh. up at the Capitol. What would I do? How would I legislate? How would I stand for certain principles? How would I go against the grain? How would I come against pop culture, if my faith, my mm. my freedom was founded in such a way that I'm not afraid to lose. I'm not afraid to lose the bill. I'm not afraid to lose the next election. I'm not afraid to lose my chairmanship. I'm not afraid to lose whatever, my leadership role. I'm not afraid to lose because my faith is rooted in something.
0: I'm so glad you said that, Gary, because the way you articulated that captures what I felt this morning when I listened to this, and I thought— can you imagine a panel of legislators after they pass a piece of legislation who would say the same thing? All you have to do is change the subject matter instead of sauce ball. Yeah. Yeah. Not afraid to lose. Well, what would have happened if you lost that? What that's not everything, right? We still have to do the right thing. And and the, and the focus of our joy is not the next election or, or having um, money from the uh, NRC or something like that. Right. It's, no, the focus is Christ. So we're going to make the right decision, and if we get beaten in a temporal sense, we're still going to do the right
1: thing. Yeah, I love that. And you know, I know, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit, but that even reminds me, you know, something I said in a, a video I posted last week about this judge who made this ruling out in Memphis on on the our bill. Yes, let's talk ten- about that. Well, you know, so we we have a bill that. Restricts anyone from presenting a sexualized performance. Like it's not, you know, it's not just the whole i. The whole idea from the left is, well, you're just, you know, a bunch of book banners, and and now you want to ban drag, and you just hate people. Well, actually, the law never says the word drag. It has nothing to do with drag. It's simply banning obscene sexualized performances. By the way, only in front of children. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not saying you can't be adults and be weird, okay, or whatever it is you want to do. Anyway, a federal judge, per the First Amendment, ruled that law unconstitutional. So I suppose in Tennessee, it's constitutional and perfectly legal to force yourself, not physically, but but to force your obscenity upon the eyes of a child uh-huh. you know at, that's and that's incredible to me that that's where we are but one of one of the things I said is my gosh how, how badly do we need governors legislators mayors attorneys district attorneys sheriffs and judges that fear God uh-huh. that make decisions rooted out of the fact that they fear God and we clearly, in large part, lack that significantly.
0: It's typically substituted, isn't it, by a lot of words. We're going to have a national prayer day. We're going to pray for our enemies. We're going to Whatever it is, it's it's a that right, superficial valuation. But when it comes to making decisions, oh, we're going to march with what the world does because, Kevin, you don't know how elections work. You don't know how committees work. You don't know how I, I'm not going to have the money they're going to run a, a challenger against me, yada, yada, yada. I'm thinking, what does that have to do with making decisions that are rooted in Christ, which means making the right decision?
1: And even in terms of liberty itself, like I think this is an important point part 2 in terms of this law. So my, my struggle a lot of times with libertarians that you mention in your book is this idea that well we just we need freedom because we deserve it. You know or, or there and whatever that means and there's no real basis of freedom or or what freedom is and so a libertarian unfortunately in this particular law, sometimes would say, "Well, why? Just let people do what they want to do. Why we don't need to regulate, uh, uh, legislate morality? Why the left does it all the time?" Yeah. So, <laughs> just a different kind of morality. So that's the unfortunate part of of the libertarians' stances. Here, here's what they don't get: Liberty always has a framework. It always has, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it always has a morality. Mm-hmm and what gets lost in the libertarian framework is when you think about law there is a purpose for law i mean look without we're human beings and with without law without guidelines without restrictions we would have absolute total anarchy right. so there is a there is a purpose and a reason for law and order and here's in a society here's what we have to all be okay with we must acknowledge this Every law we pass is, in essence, a restriction on liberty. Mm -hmm. We have to acknowledge that. We are not living life unrestricted, just free. And here's why. Here's the important point to make there. Because if everyone has this absolute liberty, well, here's the problem at some point. Your liberty and my liberty are going to intersect. Exactly, conflict. And what happens then whenever I run into your liberty? Well, that's the very need for laws. That is the need for government. That is the need, and not just the need, that's the basis on which you and I agree to be subject to these restrictions so that both of us within those confines might, to the greatest degree possible, this side of heaven— enjoy liberty enjoy the blessings of liberty right and and the other gary
0: to your point about um and, and it's not that we're picking on libertarians but we're trying to explain why a libertarian defense of liberty is not sustainable the other reason it's not sustainable is because it is rooted in essence in quote unquote it's inherent right that's the term that we hear That's what Thomas Paine would have said. He would have said that liberty is inherent in the human condition. The problem with that is that human beings are not permanent. So does that mean when you die that liberty disappears, right? Liberty loses its eternal value and its universal value when it's rooted in individual human beings who are not eternal, first of all. Not eternal in in this life, right? Obviously, we're all eternal souls. Then the question is... The secondary problem is, if you think that liberty is inherent in a person, then you are giving yourself or ceding power to another person who is a co-equal created being Mm -hmm. to use that against you. Unless we have something that is transcendent, which we believe to be the God of the Bible, transcendent authority over everybody else, then that liberty can just as quickly be taken away from you as it was
1: given to you by, quote-unquote, this inherent sense of it's in us. And and so from a conservative viewpoint on a liberty rooted not only in morality but rooted in biblical truth, am I willing to restrict someone else's liberty in such a way that will protect children? Yeah. Yep. And like this judge, I'm I'm not going to be offended that somehow – this restricts someone else's perceived First Amendment right. That's that's ridiculous.
0: Because the conflict that you, you said was unavoidable is proven in this case. All this judge has done is he's chosen which rights and which First Amendment Correct.
1: he's going to protect. But the conflict is going to happen yeah. nonetheless.
0: And the conflict is with us. Now you and I are no longer able under the law to protect our children from these things because the judge has said that the people who are performing these obscene behaviors they have priority over you and I w- vis-a-vis our children Yeah, right this in the it's in the inevitable conflict it's it's society saying we're
1: choosing these priorities over these priorities but let's not pretend that it's about liberty and when make no mistake you're going to choose so so in this case you're either going to choose families and children or you are going to choose the quote-unquote right of someone to be obscene in public mm-hmm. and, and, and offend you in whatever way they feel comfortable offending you, <laughs> right? I mean, so I haven't found it,
0: but I'm not very good at combing over social media. I stay away from it. I'm technologically unsound when it comes to social media. But Gary, before I launch into this comment, have you seen – any response? And if so, can you tell us what the response is either from A, Governor Lee, B, the Attorney General, or C, any of our legislators? Like Again, to set it up, this judge has said, in effect, your legislation is unconstitutional. What have the legislators who passed this legislation or the governor who signed it or the Attorney General who's in charge of defending it, what are they saying?
1: Yeah, for so three different... Branches there, so for the for the most part, legislators in general have been vocal. I've I've seen some statements on Twitter. Um, in particular, Representative Jason Zachary out of Knoxville and Representative Chris Todd out of Jackson, who was the House sponsor of the bill, by the way, have been very vocal that they are are voicing staunch disagreement with with the judge's ruling. And um, so so do they say what they intend to do. Well, or what's the how? how well,
0: what's that, the framework in which those uh, oppositions are cast?
1: Well, they they severely disagree with the judge's opinion, and and the statement is we fully expect the attorney general to defend this in appellate courts. So, I mean, I think from a legislator's perspective, that's really the next step. I mean, they they passed the law; they mm-hmm. did their job. So, it, it's sort of a wait and see game. The governor, unfortunately, his statement was much softer. From what I've seen so far, the governor in no way, in no way repudiated Mm -hmm. this judge's ruling. Bill Lee in no way seems to communicate that he was disappointed in the ruling or was willing himself to do anything to fight for children in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. The extent of his comment has been basically, and I paraphrase, well, this is in the attorney general's hands. And whether or not the attorney general is going to appeal or defend the law is is up to him.
0: Which suggests that the governor thinks that his role as executive is subordinate to the courts.
1: Well, no, uh, you know, during covid, he he was pretty clear that his role was to make sure you get vaccinated and wear a mask.
0: He was kingly during covid. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. He was he was shaming those who refused to wear a mask, you know, uh, because of our indifference. Didn't he suffering. also
0: didn't he also send a letter at one point saying we're never going to really get back to normal until there's a vaccine?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> you know, it's interesting how how times have changed uh, depending on the circumstances. But I will say, thankfully, I, I feel and again, this is just my opinion. It's, I don't think it's been officially stated or maybe it has, but I am feel fairly confident that we're going to see an appeal from Attorney General Scrimetti on this issue. And he did actually uh, he did us a service. Uh, the attorney general himself was quoted in a news article, which I put in my video to make sure that people understand this judge did not quote unquote block the law yeah, for the state important. of Tennessee. He, he only his powers were were limited by the case only to enjoin the, the Shelby County district attorney for enforcing the law. But Skermetti specifically was pointed out that in 94 of 95 counties, District attorneys can prosecute on this law, Mm -hmm. and they should. Mm -hmm. He didn't say that part, but I did, and absolutely should. That's an
0: important distinction, Gary, because the media makes it sound like this is a universal. Well, of course, stop everything across the whole. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, that's that's good context because that's I wrote something. Remember, we used to have a section on the program. What do we call it? Things I wouldn't do as governor, or, or what I would do if I were governor. Yeah, and. I thought of this also. or what I
1: or what I wouldn't do if I, I would do. Yeah.
0: So I thought of this last week because it so bothered me that at least in my covering of social media and and the stories, I wasn't seeing. Although the, I saw some of those legislators, I wasn't seeing the conviction and the answer that I felt I needed if the appeal fails. Because I still get the sense that yes, we're going to appeal, and we think we're going to win because we think the legislation is sound. But my question is, what if the appeal fails? What if you get another bad judge? Right. Right.
1: So, what, you, I, what you? How? What are you willing to do about it? How far are you willing to go? And you know, but before you read this, I mean, just think about, you know, not not getting into the the election here, but I mean, just think about what a Desantis statement would be. What mm-hmm. what a Desantis kind of response would That's be if really this were going <laughs> on in Florida? You know. I can imagine.
0: And hopefully it's something like this. I wrote this because this is what I would want to hear from my legislature. This is what I would want to hear from someone who had passed this law and a judge had presumed his authority. All right. So pretend. Tell me if this doesn't make you feel better as a citizen. Is this what you want your legislature, your governor to say? A federal judge in Memphis has presumed the authority to strike down legislation to protect minors. Legislation that seeks to restrain evil. Legislation that was duly passed with the consent of the people. Having already expressed their beliefs through this legislation, the people of Tennessee are under no obligation to comply with the decrees of anyone who seeks to impede or condition that expression through unilateral beliefs of his own, exercised at the dropping of a gavel. So we are going to appeal... But let it be known that our trust is not in the courts. A court that sides with evil has lost all legitimacy and will soon lose its power. The people of Tennessee have lawfully spoken through their representatives, and we intend to protect and enforce their voices with or without the consent of someone in a black robe.
1: Yes, and amen. Absolutely. Doesn't
0: that just make you like— that's what we want to hear from our. Where are the? That's Abraham Lincoln, right? That's
1: he, he said that when the court says you don't bend to the court. Yeah, it's you don't uh, you don't bend to a court that clearly has has intent to pervert justice, to pervert the rights secured in the Constitution, to pervert faith. I mean, it's you, and and that's and that's the problem. the The problem is. I had a conversation with someone yesterday. You know, yeah, but governor's just he's such a nice guy. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't care if he's a nice guy. You can
0: nicely destroy liberty as <laughs> much right. as you
1: can, you know, meanly or arrogantly destroy liberty. So, um, uh, no, that was, man, Kevin, if that statement right now flew out of our governor's mouth here in Tennessee, I'd be throwing a parade. It'd be incredible. That, yeah, we would be a different state. We would be a different state. Um, Speaking of the governor,
0: we have to keep reminding all of our listeners to fight back against this red flag legislation. And uh, Gary, I think you told me that another one of our representatives put out a good statement opposing the special session or red flag laws in general.
1: Yeah. So, of course, and this is a follow up right to our our episode from last week with Andy Roth, who is the director of the State Freedom Caucus Network. And one of the things he stated we would want to see here in Tennessee is more uh, state legislators standing up, making their own statements against this, against the this special session. And, and we we had one happen this week by a representative jo- uh, Jody Barrett out of Dixon County, who, by the way, he's a freshman uh, in this session, and in my opinion, one of the absolute best. I mean, Representative Barrett is one of those guys that was the only one willing to file legislation that would be decried by leadership, you know, so he's, he's, he's willing to, to put up a fight. Uh, he's willing to do things that perhaps are going to lose him points, you know, mm-hmm. with leadership. And uh, I really appreciate that about him. So he made this statement this week and I'm just, I'm going to read a, a, an excerpt. And this is by the way, when he says you, this letter is written from him, uh, to the governor. So he's okay. speaking directly to governor Billy. He says this, You stated in your public release on the special session, quote, after speaking with members of the General Assembly, there is broad agreement that action is needed, close quote. The only broad agreement I have seen among the members of the General Assembly has been the rejection of your proposed legislation and the shared opinion that a special session on this subject matter is ill-advised and unnecessary. Outside of the Capitol, there is broad agreement among the voters that both the special session and red flag laws are highly unpopular. Moreover, it is clear from recent media reports that there is an extremely high probability of organized demonstrations by passionate activists on both sides of the the political spectrum. It is ironic that you intend to call a special session on public safety that will actually put public Ah, safety at risk in downtown Nashville. Man,
0: that is a congratulate. Do we have like a congratulations yeah, we sound should, and, and or something? And applause. There should be claps or something. Yeah. We can in here because that's, I've never met Jody. So you would know him because you spend time with the legislature. Please tell him that I applaud and I support. And not only that he did it, but the words he chose, the conviction. That's great. We need more of
1: that. we Will do. Yeah, I was really pleased. That, that came out and look, uh, going to continue to make the call, really hope that we see more legislators um, take this stand against the special session. And here's here's the deal. You know, if right now the motivation is to put pressure on the governor to call this thing off and, and I say call this thing off, but but technically, as of right now, the governor has only issued a, a statement that he intends to call a special session. The official proclamation has not been made. So what's the
0: difference as far as, what, what does he have to do to make it? He,
1: he, he has to issue a proclamation and, and officially call for a special Is session. Is it
0: wording? Is it on letterhead? What's it's a, the... Yeah,
1: it's on letterhead. It's an, it's an official proclamation from the governor's office. And he's he's not done that yet. He's only stated his intent to do so for August 21st. Okay. So, so so, he's left himself a little wiggle room. That's right. And and so the call right now is to put enough pressure on the governor for him to call this thing off. And But look, the governor does have, uh, per Article 3 of our state constitution, the, the, the full power and discretion to call the General Assembly into a special session. However, it's important to note that the executive cannot force the legislature to pass a law. Mm-hmm. So while at that point... The legislature is constitutionally obligated to show up and go into a session. They are well within their rights to immediately drop the gavel and adjourn. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I will just say this because I've been told this by several members of the House specifically. I can't speak for the Senate. But if the special session comes around, indeed, on August 21st, and there is yet which, I you know, personally, I don't think it really makes a difference whether or not there's a manifesto. But nonetheless, the statement has been, if there's no manifesto, if nothing has been released, we will immediately adjourn. And I've I've heard that from several members of the House. So I only say that to say I, I think there is a, a, a strong chance that that's exactly what we do see if the governor does call the special session.
0: So that's an interesting position. I don't know if I'd ever paint myself into the corner like that because – on the one hand, it's it's attempting to use leverage to get the release.
1: Which I think is maybe part of it.
0: Yeah, and, and I understand that. Okay, so what if they release a redacted version? Does that mean those guys are going to say, oh, well, they released it. <laughs> yeah. And all the important things are covered up and it just says, hi, my name is you know, murder yep. A, and I'm going to do this.
1: Well, if there's anything you know for sure in politics is that you don't know for sure, you know, what what they're actually going to do. So it, the, the proof will be in the pudding, and that remains to be seen.
0: You know something just occurred to me, Gary? Since we talked about it last week with Andy Roth, and we talked about red flag laws, let's talk really here at the end before we finish about what happened to Kevin McCarthy this week after he undermined... Initially, it was the 20, the House Freedom Caucus, or at least part of the House Freedom Caucus. The rules that were established, the parameters, the constraints that were put on Kevin McCarthy to make sure that he didn't sell them out. And then McCarthy does what? He gets on the floor of the House, as Andy told us last week. He looks to the Democrats and says, I'm going to need your votes to pass this. And he does. And there was a lot of talk about the motion to vacate. But instead of a motion to vacate, we see a different strategy emerging from the House. Have you noticed that with their?
1: Yeah, I mean, there. Well, I'll, I'll let you go through the details because I don't know the details as well as you do on the federal level. But, um, but I have seen that w- what's what's really great to see about these members of the Freedom Caucus is that they refuse to lie down, and even when there's a move that's made that seems that they've been beaten there's another step yes i (laughs) know there's a there's another opportunity for them to to be a cog in the wheel
0: yeah and and there's it shows that they are thinking steps ahead of mccarthy because i get the impression that mccarthy thought i've got this figured out i'm just going to blow away these guys by making a deal with the democrats and then he knew i think mccarthy knew that he was going to be protected from an ouster because even if one of the house freedom caucus members called for a motion to vacate i think mccarthy knows that he'd get enough votes from the democrats to keep him in power i think that was kind of the quid pro quo so
1: so, but what did they do what was the action so
0: so instead of calling for a motion to vacate which they would have lost at least at this point they're now seeking to make and effectively making kevin mccarthy a pariah because they actually in the rules committee which they have control of because of what happened with the speakership vote, McCarthy was required to put true conservatives on the rules committee. They actually killed an otherwise conservative piece of legislation that McCarthy and all the rhino Republicans, all the establishment, all thought was just going to roll through. It was having to do with gas stoves. And it was to prove a point. It was to embarrass McCarthy on the floor that you can't even pass the most basic principle of legislation Without, without taking us. us into consideration. You you will not get away with this. Just a little reminder. Yeah. So that means any legislation that McCarthy wants to get passed now is going to be impossible without the House Freedom Caucus, which means that McCarthy is going to become hes either going to have to capitulate or he's going to become a pariah, because then you've got all these establishment guys going home to their people saying, we can't even get the most basic legislation passed. Whose fault is it? It's McCarthy's fault. Yeah. He's the one that's ruining this. <laughs> So effectively, the motion to vacate is going to become probably real because, right? Even his friends are going to say, "Enough! We got to get someone else, or we're getting nothing." They're going
1: to be unwilling to continue to pay the price at home. Yeah. yeah. So I
0: thought it was a brilliant strategic it move, is. and as you say, they're not afraid. One final comment: When you talk about their lack of fear, have you noticed that even Chip Roy, who's one of the real champions of this or, this group of freedom fighters? Even his picture for Twitter is Chip Roy, like in screaming mode. Like, yeah. He's like, ah!
1: <laughs> the thing about someone like Chip Roy is he's so consistent. And, yep. I you know, I'm not, I'm, again, I'm laser focused on Tennessee, so I don't pay attention to, to you at to the Congress as much as I probably should. But I, I feel like. Chip Roy seems to be one of those guys you can you can always depend on like you know he's going to be voting and but not just voting right the thing about someone like Chip Roy is he's going to be fighting mm-hmm. he's going to be putting up a fight way before the vote and he's going to be putting himself out there and I think look this is what that is the kind of fire we're trying to stoke here in Tennessee it, because the reality is let's just say we had you know, 10 legislators willing to put up that kind of a fight. Does that mean that we can now just pass conservative legislation whenever we want? No. However, you, but you can see how they're at the federal level, they are wearing down leadership. Mm-hmm. And that's that's exactly what's not happening here in, in Tennessee. Leadership has a complete and absolute stranglehold on the legislative process. And there's not a group of people. There's there's one here and there, but they get nipped off, right, whenever they're individuals, but we don't have a group that is consistently challenging leadership in such a way that causes that puts them on their heels just a little bit.
0: And the great lesson in all of this, Gary, is if you follow someone like Chip Roy, he doesn't just blow up something with a vote. Chip Roy is so strategic that he has an explanation for everything that he's doing, and he's constantly teaching his own constituents, other members of the Freedom Caucus. If we had that example of a few people in Tennessee who said, I'm going to vote for principles," and you may not like this one right now because you don't understand it, but here's the long—here's the steps. Boom, 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 boom. And right. you may think that, oh, you're going to be ousted from committees and, and loses, but I'm telling you— If you follow this plan and stick with it, not only are we going to eventually succeed politically because it doesn't take a huge majority, right? A minority, we found out the federal government. But also it it produces such trust between the constituents and the representative. If you know where a guy stands or a woman stands and he explains it or she explains it over and over again and continues to vote consistently with that – your constituents will love it even if on occasion they're like, "Well, I wish you would have done this, but I so respect the fact that you are consistent to your principles and
1: that's what we need more of." And I just and I want to echo that point from the beginning of the show. Like the only way you can put up that kind of a fight is if you have the kind of faith that makes you unafraid to lose. Amen. And we we have <laughs> those are the kinds of men and women that we need in leadership positions here in Tennessee. Amen. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, Kevin. Good stuff.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.